Blog Talk Radio. I suppose so. Better not deserve. <laughs> All right, everybody. Let's take our songbook. Let's stand together. Let's turn to 443. 443. There is sunshine in the soul. Stand together. Let's sing. 443. There is sunshine in my soul today, more glorious and bright than glows in any earthly skies. For Jesus is my light. Oh, there's sunshine, blessed sunshine, when the peaceful, happy moments roll. When Jesus shows his smiling face, there is sunshine in the soul. There is music in my soul today, a carol to the King. And Jesus listening can hear the songs I cannot sing. Oh, there's sunshine, blessed sunshine, when the peaceful, happy moments roll. When Jesus shows his smiling face, there is sunshine in the soul. There is springtime in my soul today, for when the Lord is near, the dove Things in my heart, the flowers of grace appear. Oh, there's sunshine, blessed sunshine, when the peaceful, happy moments roll. When Jesus shows his smiling face, there is sunshine in the soul. There is gladness in my soul today. And hope and praise and love for blessings which he gives me now, for joys laid up above. Oh, there's sunshine, blessed sunshine, when the peaceful, happy moments roll. When Jesus shows his smiling face, there is sunshine. Praise God. And we've had some sunshine here lately. God has been good. He's been blessing. He's been answering prayers and uh, doing mighty things in our midst. And and Dan's sitting back here testifying to that fact that God is good and answers prayer. We praise God that you're here tonight, brother. And we are very thankful. Amen. We're very thankful to God for answering prayers and for working in your life through the nurses and doctors and 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 Miss Anya and, and everybody else has helped and and we're just very grateful. And I just want to praise God for that. Amen. Amen. Very thankful for what he's doing. I want I want to share something real quick. And this is just I, I know y'all don't know my friend Mike Clark, but he pastors Temp uh not Temple well, I'm a Temple. He pastors Spring Lake Baptist Church in, in Paris. And uh Mike's been my friend since we were teenagers, and we played in a band together when I was a teenager. But anyway, he, he passed, he's pastored over there for the last two, two or three years, 
And, um, and you know, they, they were slow going, but God has really begun to move there. And uh, they've, been, they've been seeing people saved week after week, seems like. I mean, maybe not every week, but quite a few weeks here lately they've been seeing people saved. I, I want to say this past Sunday they had, they had three saved. Now they have four lined up for baptism. And, no, I take that back. I changed that because Monday morning he told me when he got to the church up there at 730, Monday morning, there was a church member who was waiting on him at the door, a lady in her 70s, and she told him, she said, I'm not going to, I can't do it anymore. She said, I, I'm not saved, and I, find, I, I know I'm not saved, and I need to get saved. She's been a member of that church forever, but she, she realized she wasn't saved, and she couldn't wait no longer. She was waiting on him when he showed up there at the church. So, you know, God, God's stirring when things like that happen. Amen. Because you you got to think about something, how hard it must have been for that woman to get past her pride to come to Christ. And I told Brother Mike, I said, I remember hearing when I was young of a pastor's wife walked to aisle during revival and told, looked at him on the way to the to the altar and told him, said, I ain't going to hell for you or anybody. Now, when she wasn't at pride, it'll stand in the way. You get all that out of the way and then everything, you can get right with God and get, get you get your soul saved. Amen. Are there any any other prayer requests tonight? I just want to share that. God's stirring. I just want to say thank you to the Lord for protecting this building so they tried to get into it. Amen. You know, but they didn't get into it. Right. Praise God. Thank God for that. Amen. I mean, that's just... God's good. Yes. I had prayer thank you this morning. My daughter had surgery. Well, praise the Lord for that. Thank you. Thank God for that. Amen. Yes. Amen. Praise God for that too. Amen. Wonderful things God do. And uh, like I said, Sunday morning we're gonna baptize three. Amen. Wednesday, next Wednesday night, hopefully next Wednesday night we may be having a wedding after church. And I don't know for the hundred percent sure on that, but that's the direction we're leaning last Sunday when we talked about it. So pray for them, pray for Aubrey and them, and um, also pray for my friend, the Krupa Emanuel. I haven't heard, it's the weirdest thing, I've talked to him nearly every day, and then I talked to him Monday, and I haven't heard from him since then. And so I'm kind of concerned because I hadn't heard from him. So, you know, they're in a foreign country, and, you know, who knows what's going on. But they were supposed to have been over in Dallas area, and, and he's supposed to be coming Friday and saying Friday night, Saturday, and then here Sunday, Saturday, Sunday night with us, and then going back on Monday. So be in prayer for all that because, again, uh, we're not from India. We don't know how folks from India do, but we're going to do our best to be good house guests. But, y'all pray for us and and um, and uh, look forward to Sunday. I, I really do. I, we should have some visitors from Paris come over, and uh should be a good day in the Lord. And don't forget we'll be eating, so... Prepare, and remember when you're preparing, there may be a few extra people here that day, so keep that in mind as you're preparing food. Anything else from anybody? Prayer request or praise before or anything? You ain't got a praise before today. Well, lay it on, sister. And that uh, heart doctor that I saw about my late father that was electrical part of my heart, mm-hmm. he says when I wore that, Alter monitor. Yeah. that I was having rapid heartbeat. Mm-hmm. Rapid heartbeat. So Dr. Wordsworth wanted him to check me out. And they lowered my 
some personal medicine and he said, you know, some people can get along. He said, I've got medicine, it's got side effects, it's expensive. I don't think you need that yet. And there's a thing with the implant in there. About 10 years or so, I don't think you need that either. Amen. So he said, you seem to be doing good. Well, praise God. Uh, EKG on her day. That's awesome. Good for you. I need to do that. That was early this morning. Amen. Well, thank the Lord. He's good. Amen. And as I said on the on the group chat the other day, God's answering prayers because we're banding together and agreeing in, in prayer. And let's keep doing that, and let's keep praying like that, and let's start praying for folks. Folks uh, get saved. Let's start praying for lives to change. Let's start praying for God to be doing some great things in our midst and people's lives. And God's able to do all those things. We just got to be a praying, a really serious praying church. And I know we can do that. Amen. Let's go, Lord, tonight in prayer. Let's ask God to bless the offering, bless the, the message, and everything. Robert, lead us in prayer. Amen. You can be seated.
335, there shall be showers of blessing. Amen. That's what we're talking about. God answered prayers. Showers of blessings. Amen. I mean, it may not be a flood. It's a sprinkle, but praise God, it's a sprinkle. Amen. We'll take it. We just want a downpour. We're praying for a downpour. Amen. There shall be showers of blessing. This is the promise of love. There shall be seasons refreshing. This from the Savior above. Showers of blessing. Showers of blessing we need. Mercy drops round us are falling. But for the showers we bleed. There shall be showers of blessing, precious reviving again. Over the hills and the valleys, found of abundance of rain. Showers of blessing, showers of blessing we need. Mercy drops round us are falling, but for the showers we bleed. There shall be showers of blessing. Send them upon us, O Lord. Grant to us now a refreshing. Come and now honor thy word. Showers of blessing. Showers of blessing we need. Mercy drops round us are falling. But for the showers we bleed, there shall be showers of blessing. Oh, that today they might fall. Now as to God we're confessing, now as on Jesus we call. Showers of blessing, showers of blessing we need. Mercy drops round us are fall. But for the showers we bleed. All right. Praise God. We need them too. 490. 490. While we're on that theme, let's go ahead and sing Revive Us Again. That's what we're asking for. Amen. We praise thee, O God, for the Son of thy love, for Jesus who died and is now gone Hallelujah, and the glory, Hallelujah, by the glory, hallelujah, hey. 
We'll give you glory ahead of time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Proverbs 17, verse 15. It says, He that justifieth the wicked, and he that condemneth the just, even they both are an are abomination to the Lord. He that justifies the wicked, and he that condemneth the just. Two different crowds, but both of them make God want you. Now, I'm going to address the second crowd real quick. He that condemneth the just. We know that crowd. They don't, want, uh, they don't like anything to do with church. They don't like to do anything with the Bible. They don't want to hear the name of Jesus. They, they want to make fun of Christians. They think that being a Christian is a joke. They, they think that, that living for Christ is a joke. They think that we should live for the flesh and live for now and enjoy this life and everything that it has in it and believe that we came from, from from monkeys or believe that we are descendants of an alien race or believe or whatever you want to believe, that some explosion happened out in outer space and everything cooled off and formed and, and eventually it got down to us. They can believe that all day long. That's the crowd that, that, that looks at us and condemns the just and says, well, y'all are a bunch of lunatics believing what y'all believe that if some man 2,000 years ago died on a cross and it has anything to do with you 2,000 years later, y'all are nuts. And that's the kind of things they say, okay? Well, I know about that crowd. That crowd that crowd don't bother me because I know that crowd, amen? And they're always going to be that crowd. And, but it's the other crowd that really bothers me. The Bible said, he that justifies the wicked. That's the crowd that really gets under my skin. And, and the Bible, you know, we, we read verse, I think it was last time. Yeah, it was last time. It was right before we got wrapped up last time. Proverbs 17, verse 13, which says, Whoso rewardeth evil for good, evil shall not depart from his house. So when somebody does evil and somebody rewards that person for evil, God can't stand that. It makes God angry. It makes God sick. And God's going to make sure they get paid back for it. <clears throat> but, man, I look at I look at uh, that... Uh, he that justifies the wicked. Well, let me just talk about this a little bit more before we get into it. I, I, I think I can I can nail them them folks down. But if we're going to have justice here, it requires the opposite outcome: that the wicked are condemned, not that the not that the wicked are justified, but that they're condemned if, if justice is served and the just are justified. But see, this has got it backwards. But and like I said, it says both of these are an abomination to the Lord. So God sees a violation of justice on both sides. And God never thinks that all should be equally condemned or justified, but the, that the appropriate answer should be given both to the wicked and to the just and not the opposite. They should get what they got coming. Okay? G. Campbell Morgan said a self-evident statement, and yet one that needs to be made, for in every age there have been those who fi- who fall into both forms of wrong. In other words, no matter what day you live in, there are both groups going to be there. There are going to be those who condemn the just and those who justify the wicked. But both of those are abominations to the Lord. But it's the one that justifies the wicked. Let me tell you who that is. That's the fence straddler. That's the fence straddler. 
because they try to live, they try to they try to give the appearance that they're living for God, but yet they got their foot off in the world and they're trying to entertain the world at the same time. So what they're doing by their actions, their actions says there's nothing to this Christian life, and their action causes a bad shadow to be cast upon the Christian. In other words, that you're ruining the reputation of other Christians because if you're the only Christian some people know and you're a fence traveler, all, all you're doing is saying to them, hey, the Christian life is nothing but a joke. You can live however you want to live, do whatever you want to live. God don't care. So you're essentially, you're, you're condemning the judge by your life. Okay? The other one that really gets under my skin are the enablers. Boy, I tell you, there's a lot of that goes on. If your child just happens to wind up being one of these that as wicked as the devil, tend to wink at it because it's your own child. Somebody in your family, you don't want to come down on them because, I mean, they're in my family and everything. So we kind of turn a blind eye to it or we gloss it over. God don't like that either, justifying the wicked. Amen? I, I tell you, there's nothing, there's nothing more heartbreaking to me than a good Christian family that's got a sodomite in it. And you know what? It's heartbreaking because on one hand, you, you want to love them and you try to love them, but on the other hand, they fight you the whole way because they don't, they don't they condemn the judge. They don't want nothing to do with God because of their sin and they run from God. And, and, and you can't, it's hard to love somebody like that. So what happens is a lot of times you get people, Christians, who... They'll just drop their they'll just drop their morals. They'll just they'll just embrace that loved one in their lifestyle in order to make them happy. And God can't stand that. It makes him sick. Amen. Listen again. I don't I don't know how. And I've said this before, but I'll say this again. I don't know how anybody can be a a a, a progressive left leftist Democrat and be a Christian at the same time. When you when you support sodomy and you support abortion and you support all the things that that party supports, I don't know how anybody can do that and be a Christian at the same time. It blows my mind to think that anybody could claim that they are one and and, and, and endorse those things because God hates those things. Amen. There's a lot of things that God hates. I think about the fact that we talk about voting for the lesser of two evils. You know, when Ron Paul was running for president, I remember that slogan: "The lesser of two evils is still evil." Amen. And, and again, we, we we've we've learned to accept. I'm gonna preach in a minute if you don't look out. I'm gonna preach in just a minute. We have learned to accept wicked behavior. We, I mean, I'm gonna prove it to you. Doctor Curtis Hudson preached a message years ago. I heard on tape, and here's what he said. He said he said a long time ago. He said women. He said that that they when when, when people start going, they go down to the beach to, to go swimming. He said, and women would wear long dresses that covered them all the way down to their feet, and that's what they would swim in. He said, well, several years later, fashion changed, and women's swimsuits were long dresses, but they came in and they just showed their ankles. He said, and boy, preachers got in the pulpit, and they just railed on those women down there to beat just shot up their ankles. Okay? And then a few years later, it came up about halfway up the calf. And preachers got in the pulpits and they railed on those women for showing the nakedness of their calves to the knees. And they railed on them for showing off their legs when they showed off half their legs. But I won't know what happened to them preachers that were preaching about their ankles. 
They changed. The, the further the world goes, we keep a safe distance behind the world. We think it's a safe distance. We we don't stand our ground. We we inch up so that we've got to, we gotta. I ain't like them, but closer than they used to be. What are we doing? We're justifying the wicked. This verse is about uh, to us, and we better be careful of what we what we call okay that God calls abominable, because when He don't like it, it it's pretty serious matter. Uh, let's go to verse sixteen. For is there a price in the hand of a fool to get wisdom? Sin he hath no heart to it. <clears throat> and he says, "Why is there a price in a fool's hand to get wisdom? What's he doing?" The wisdom has a price. And and Solomon here is picturing a fool who's ready to pay that price. And that don't make sense. Because what does the price of wisdom start with? It starts with the fear of the Lord. Amen? You've got to fear the Lord before you can gain wisdom at all. Uh, again, you know, the knowledge of the holy. I mean, it, listen, that, you, you, to have that, you've got to humble yourself before God. It, it, that's the price of wisdom involves humility. You can't be prideful like a fool and 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 ex- expect to get any wisdom from God. Again, you got to you got to humble yourself before God and have a willingness to receive correction from God. And a fool ain't got no interest in none of that. A fool has no interest in getting wisdom in the way to be gotten, which is again in a humble, respectful manner. So again. That's what that's what he's saying here. He says, seeing he hath no heart to it. Because it would be strange to see a fool who's humbling himself at the same time he's a fool. Because, again, he couldn't be a fool once he's done that. You see what I'm saying? You wouldn't be a fool anymore once you... Because hey, you take the biggest idiot in the world who's run their whole life and bring them up here and set them on that pew. And when the invitation comes and the Holy Spirit brings them out and they come down his altar and get on their knees and confess their sins to God, they're no longer a fool. They made the right choice. But the nature of the fool requires that they have no heart to pay the price of wisdom. Again, because he's a fool. Why does the dog bark? Because he's a dog. That's why. And the fool foolish because he's a fool. Verse 17. A friend loveth at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. A friend loveth at all times. A true friend, he won't just love you when it's easy to love you. He'll love you when it's hard to love you. He'll love you when you're a mess. He'll love you when 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 you're when you're angry at the world and 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 you just don't want to be around nobody. That friend will still love you then. You know, you used to hear you used to hear people use the phrase "fair weather friends." We don't hear that language very much anymore. But but those are friends. Y'all know what they are. They're friends that are only there when the weather's good. When things are good, and then when things get tough, they're gone. They're not, and those aren't friends at all. Amen. Those are those are hanger owners. <laughs> they just hanging around, see what they can get. But no, a friend will be there at all times. Uh, Charles Spurgeon said that eminent servant of God, Jonathan Edwards. How many of y'all know who that is? Y'all ever heard that name, Jonathan Edwards? Preached great sermon, sinners in the hands of an angry God. He said he preached that thing monotone as could be in a quiet voice, and people were screaming in the pews. They thought they were sliding into hell. Yeah, it was that. It was that powerful, and it was in an old Orthodox, or he was Presbyterian, I think, if I'm not mistaken. So it was kind of Orthodox. 
But uh, mm-hmm. anyway, Jonathan Edwards, he said, when he was at his last, in other words, right at death's door, he said, where is Jesus of Nazareth, my old and faithful friend? I know he will be with me now that I need his help. And so he was for that faithful servant, died triumphantly. You know, Jesus is a friend. He's not just with you through the good times, but he'll walk, he'll walk through death's door with you too. The Lord, he's a friend at all times. And it says a brother is born for adversity, a, a true brother. And, and, and in this verse, it's, it's used in a sense beyond literal blood relation, not just your blood brothers, because, I mean, listen, uh, you can't always count on your family. But a true brother, and again, oftentimes that's a Christian brother, he'll show himself in a time of adversity. I can think back to a time in my life a number of years ago when everything had fallen apart, and uh, I just didn't know how I was going to make it past the next day. And I, I remember standing out in my driveway on the phone with my friend, Brother Mark Wheeler, and just crying hot tears running down my face. My heart was broke, and my life was was just in a mess at the time. And and uh, I remember him praying with me time, night after night. He called me up, and we we talked, and he did try to encourage me, and, and he prayed me through one of the toughest times of my life. I remember... I remember another time when I back years way back yonder before I was ever a preacher, and I was I was living for me and doing my thing and and my life was a mess and I was fooling with things I shouldn't have fooled with and and again anybody that around me could see my life was spiraling out of control. I remember a good friend of mine, Gary Preston, who came to my apartment and set me down and was leveled with me and told me he said he said Brandon you you you're better than this. God's got bigger plans for you than this. This is not the end of the road for you. You've got to get up from here. You know, a true friend will meet you in your troubles. A true friend doesn't mind getting their hands dirty. A true friend will love you when you're unlovable. And I'm thankful for that. And I'm thankful, you know, uh, G. Campbell Morgan said when, when, when this proverb is applied, it creates two startling questions. He said, first, the question is as to whether... I'm really a friend to anybody. Am I really that kind of a person? Am I really the kind of person who will show up when somebody's really down and out and stay with them and try to help them get up? Am I that kind of a person? You might look back through your life. Have you been that kind of a person to people? And secondly, how many for real? How many real friends do I really have? When I've been down and out, how many have come to my rescue? How many have asked me, how are you? Are you okay? I mean, you know, again, these are questions we ought to think about. But there's another preacher, Charles Bridges, and he had an even better application. He said we have to look to our Lord for the best example in this. We see the Son of God taking on our nature so that he might be our friend and our brother. Amen. Listen, we were down here sinners, couldn't do a thing about it. What did he do? He came to us even yet while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. You talk about coming to you in your worst condition. He came to this earth and took our sin upon him. And the mystery of that friendship that we have is beyond our comprehension and our imagination. And Charles Bridges said, the ancient Jews applied this proverb to Christ, citing it as a testimony that the divine Messiah would, by his incarnation, overcoming the earth, being a man, he would become the brother of man. In other words, he again, he walked this earth. He knows exactly what we've been through. That, and, and again, some people call him our brother Jesus, and that's in the Bible. 
And what that simply means is he has, listen, everything that we've ever gone through that he went through, there's not a thing that temptation we've ever faced that he hadn't faced. And he and he, he was right there, and he, he went through it, and he did it without sin, and he paid the price for us. Verse 18. A man of under, I'm sorry, a man void of understanding striketh hands and becometh surety in the presence of his friend. A man void of understanding striketh hands. We we looked at this. I can't remember if it was chapter three. I want to say it was chapter three, or maybe it was chapter four, where we talked about striking hands or becoming surety for a friend. The Bible warns against suretyship. Again, the man who doesn't understand will join in to a pledge or join in and sign on with somebody in a debt without thinking. Uh, you know, trying to trying to be a friend, just trying to help, but you don't realize what you're getting yourself into sometimes. And, and wisdom guards us against foolish partnerships. And it says, and become a surety in the presence of his friend. And it's talking, again, it's talking about uh, becoming a part of that debt that that person has. And, you know, it's responsibility enough to handle our own debts and to honor our own debts and those of our own family. But you do what he's warning against here. You're putting a double burden on your own back and your own family's back. And wisdom warns us against taking on responsibility and the debts of others. And, again, I, I don't know why somebody would join themselves in with with, a, with just a friend. Just I don't know if that's maybe to try to gain a favor or, or, or to just try to, be a help, but you can. He's warning you can get yourself in a mess. You can get yourself in a mess and end up paying for somebody else's mistakes. So it's best to think twice before we do something like that. Verse nineteen. He loveth transgression, that loveth strife, and he that exalteth his gate, destruction. <clears throat> He loveth transgression that loveth strife. You ever been around anybody like that? Somebody just likes trouble? I mean, I've I been around some grouchy people. We've around some grouchy people today. I mean, Mama went to the eye doctor, sat in the waiting room full of grouchy people. <laughs> but, you know, again, those who, we're talking about people that love transgression. What does it mean to love trans it means that means you like you like breaking the rules. Person who loves transgression is one who says, you know what, I like breaking rules. And I like I like stirring up trouble. So that's the kind of person God's referring to here. And they like it when 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 somebody breaks God's laws, they enjoy watching somebody sin. You know, over in, over in Romans chapter 1, the Bible talks about that crowd. Let me read that verse to you. It won't take me but a second to find it. Romans chapter 1, it talks about this crowd, this rebellious crowd that don't want the knowledge of God. And, well, you know, it, it talks about them. It, it says they're backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable unmerciful. These are people who love transgression, right? And it says, who know in the judgment of God, and they know, they, listen, they understand they're trans, they understand God, you transgress the law, God ain't going to be happy with it. They says, it says, who know in the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death, death 
not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. So they not only like to see other people sin against God, break God's rules, and be a little rebel, but they like they take pleasure in it. It gives them a charge to break God's rules and break God's laws. And they love it when there's conflict. They love stirring up something. They sit back and clap their hands. Ha, 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 we've got a fight going. Hey, we got them going now. Yeah, start it up. They're rebels. Rebels against God's authority. That's the kind of people we're describing here. You know, 1 Samuel 15, 23, the first half of that verse says this. It says, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. What the Bible says very clearly. And stubbornness, well, we all need this right here. And stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. You know why? Because you're saying, I know more than you do, God. I'm going to do what I want to do, God. It's my life, and I'll do what I want. Stubbornness. And that's just like idolatry, God says. That, that gets to me, boy. That, the rebellion is, is the sin of witchcraft. Man, you know, I sure is a lot of people today that's, that's, that's fooling with witchcraft and don't even realize it. Because there sure is a lot of people in rebellion against God. Just think of it. We've got a world full of witches. War, world of witchcraft is out there running around all day long. But it doesn't look like it. It just looks like people doing their own thing. But the truth of it is it's witchcraft because they're all denying God. And they're, 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 listen, what is witchcraft that's saying we have power that's not yours, God? And when we say I have power to do what I want to in my own life, you're, you're, you're claiming power that's not your own. And what is that? It's nothing but witchcraft. That's, that's essentially what witchcraft is. I know. We, we think of warts on noses and long green noses and pointy hats and brooms and Cauldrons, that's not witchcraft. The devil wants you to think that's witchcraft. Witchcraft is just saying, I'll do what I want to do, God. I don't need you. That's all witchcraft is at its core. Proverbs twenty-eight twenty-five says, He that is of a proud heart stirreth up strife. But he that putteth his trust in the Lord shall be made fat. And that doesn't mean... Well, a lot. That means be blessed. Amen? God bless the one that puts their trust in the Lord, but the one that's with a proud heart. God said that's the fellow who wants to start fights and strife, and that's, that's, the, that's, the, that's the rebel. That's the one who's in idolatry. That's the one who's in witchcraft and don't even realize it. Hey, boy, those folks might, might all think about that one out there that may be listening in on this message. The second half of that verse is, he that exalteth his gate seeketh destruction. Now, he that exalteth his gate. Now, the local leaders were the ones who sat in the gate, kind of like city hall, your leadership. That's, that's, that's this gate, but, and that's just the opening of the city. And those who exalt, there are those who exalt the leadership of those who love transgression and strife, people that exalt people like that are promoting destruction. You put somebody in office, Who's all about themselves and all about forget what God says? You know, you're just you're just you're begging for your destruction of your city, your country, or whatever. And, and again, those type of people should never sit in the seat of respect. They should never sit in the seat of leadership or authority. But that's what sits in our government today 
is people who think they know more than God does, and they think they can, that they're more powerful than God, most of them. But, again, I don't know if that's what this is referring to right here in this verse. Because, again, we're talking about, we're just talking about in general those who, those who love transgression and love strife, and maybe talk about any of them. But, but, again, he's exalting his gate. A man who, who builds a high gate exalts himself above his neighbor, and he assumes that he's more high up than his neighbor. He's got more rank. He's got more power than his neighbor. Uh, we, we say somebody's got too big for their britches, somebody exalting their gate, somebody's a little bit too big for their britches. And, uh, and, and this gate could be taken for the mouth. And exalting the gate may mean running your mouth and arrogant speaking. And, and uh, Adam Clark says, such is the tendency to kindle and maintain strife. And this interpretation seems to agree better with the scope of the context. In other words, exalting your gate and running your mouth and, you're stirring up strife. You're causing problems. So again, it's that mouth that just keeps chirping. So we need we need to watch our mouth and, and make sure that we're not dishonoring God with it. Verse twenty. Verse twenty. He that hath a froward heart findeth no good, and he that hath a perverse tongue falleth into mischief. They have a froward heart. It says you find he findeth no good. And somebody who's filled with deceit and corruption, because a froward heart, a froward heart's one that's perverse. Again, that's not one that's God's leading. That's not one that God's directing. That's one who that basically is full of corruption, one that loves strife, loves transgression, loves doing what it wants to do. It's full of worldliness and lust and, and the things of this world. And it's and again deceiving yourself. The Bible tells warns us against deceiving yourself. And this heart he's talking about here is full of deceit, and it's full of corruption. And what's it going to find? It's looking for that in other people, because what birds of a feather flock together. So, again, a froward heart findeth no good. That person like that ain't going to ever find good. They, they can't find it on their own. You know why? They're not looking for it. A person with a corrupt heart is not looking for good. They could care less about good. Wholesome behavior is an abomination to that person. Again, what does that got to do with us tonight? I tell you something that they can say to you. Don't try to change somebody with a corrupt heart. You can't do it. You're only going to hurt yourself in the process. Only God can change somebody with a corrupt heart. And a lot of people try and spend their time trying to change a corrupted heart that only God can change. <clears throat> he that hath a perverse tongue falleth into mischief. I mentioned something about a guy I used to work with several several weeks ago. Talked about a guy I worked with at one time, and he just he got a charge out of saying corrupt and crude things, especially around older ladies and things. He just he was just one he was just one of the most vile people I'd ever known. And uh, I, I worked with him back in it was right around right around 2000. And uh, and I and I brought him up out of the blue that night. A couple of days later, I was on the internet and I found where he went to prison for a long time, and uh, for a methamphetamine charge. And I, you know that falls right in here. He that has a perverse tongue falls into mischief. Surprise, surprise! Because a perverse tongue's got a perverse heart connected to it. Amen. Wicked and foolish words are the display of what's inside somebody's heart, or it wouldn't be coming out of their mouth. Amen. And if it's in there, 
It's going to draw them into more wicked and more evil. They're going to keep being drawn to it, lest God take over their life. Unless they come to Christ, they're going to be drawn further into more evil until it destroys them. You know, God God warns us about that corrupt tongue. James 3, 6 through 8 says, And the tongue is a fire. A fire. Time I carried some trash out and put it in the burn barrel and lit it. Everything was ruined there in just a matter of seconds. All I had to do was put a little flame to it, and the next thing you know, there's a whole bunch of ashes and wind blowing them everywhere. And that's what a tongue will do to somebody's life. It's a world of iniquity. It can burn somebody's life, plumb up. So is the tongue among our members that it defileth the whole body and setteth on fire the course of nature and is set on fire of hell. I, again, a perverse tongue is a, is a dangerous thing, and we've got to make sure that we've got a handle on it. The Bible says, For every kind of beast and of birds and of serpents and of things in the sea is tamed and hath been tamed of mankind. But the tongue, no man can tame. It's an unruly evil full of deadly poison. So, again, God warns us. So, it's a good warning. It's a good warning not only to the lost and the wicked, but it's a good warning to the believers not to let ourselves get into a habit of saying things and talking in ways that we shouldn't. Because this world is, again, this world is constantly alluring us to evil. It's constantly drawing us to evil. All around us, every day, are commercials for evil. All around us are, 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 are alluring things that try to draw our mind away from God, try to attract and affect our flesh, to lust and to, and to be enraged or, or to, or to uh, express some type of emotion that would be dishonoring to God. The Bible says no tongue no man can tame. We better you know what? No man can but God but God can do it. If we'll confess it to God, if we turn it over to God, God can take the God can take the, the vileness of our tongue away. If we'll surrender it to him. Last verse and we're done. He that begetteth a fool doeth it to his sorrow. And the father of a fool no joy. I wish we had a better verse to end on. But you know it is what it is. He that begetteth a fool doeth it to his sorrow. To be the parent of a fool. And it's not just it's not just any fool. I, I, this this is a this is a, a, a foolish scoffer. This is somebody that, that doubts and rejects the truth. Otherwise they wouldn't be a fool. This is somebody who, even though you've laid the truth right in front of them, they walk away from it. And, man, I tell you what, it breaks your heart to see your kids struggle, to see your grandkids struggle, especially after you pointed them to the truth. You've told them the truth, and, and yet they still try, and, and you say, please don't make the same mistakes I've made. Please don't go down the same roads I've gone down. Please don't listen to that. Please don't follow that. And yet they do it anyway, and you got to watch them go and bust their knuckles and bust their head against the wall over and over. And you know the pain and suffering that they're going to endure, and yet they do it anyway, even though they've heard the truth, they've had it preached to them, and they, they nodded their heads and even said amen when they were younger. 
I was thinking about I was thinking about my friend Wally Langford. Y'all know Wally. Y'all should remember Wally coming in here. He got a son named Noah. And I don't know where Noah's at spiritually right now, but I know he struggled mightily for a number of years. But I remember when he was about 11, 12 years old at a camp meeting, and wasn't nobody shouting louder than Noah. I mean, he was on, he, he looked like, boy, he's on fire for God. I remember a bunch of older preachers saying, oh, that's a future right there, that young man right there. But he ain't that way no more. He's a different guy now. It comes a point where they got to make up their mind what they're going to be. And I know I'm talking to folks who've got grown kids, some of us, most of us. But tell you, tell your kids this when they got to deal with it with their own. You can only carry your faith can only carry them so far. They got to make up their mind what they're going to be for themselves. There comes a point in time again where they they come to a crossroads. Am I believing all this stuff just because mom and daddy said to, or am I believing this for me? And, and again, it's, it, it breaks your heart when you've told them the truth, you've pointed them to the truth. And parents can do all they can not to raise scoffers. We ought to try to do everything we, ought, we can not to raise scoffers. And the best way is to start by believing and living the truth for ourselves. Saying, hey, go believe this don't really work very well. Saying, I'm not going, but you should. That don't go very far. Do not as I say, or do as I say, not as I do. That don't, that don't work. And that's happened a lot in a lot of cases. And boy, when when they grow up, it don't work out very well. Second half of that verse, and we're closing. The father of a fool hath no joy. Because there's no pleasure in seeing a child that's a fool. There's there, there's both pain and the consequences of the child's foolishness, and there's also pain and the regret of wondering if you parented them them effectively. Did you do the right job? Did you do a good enough job? But I tell you this, and I'm gonna close on this talk. What good can come out of this situation? Well, I'll tell you what good can come out of it. It can strengthen your faith. It will drive you to God's throne to intercede on behalf of your children. Where you might not have the prayer life that you have, you'll have it on behalf of your children. You'll have it on behalf of your grandchildren. It'll do wonders for your relationship with the Lord when you're on your knees begging them for your family and begging them for your children's lives. You know, and I know there's probably somebody out there listening to me tonight, they say, well, but I hurt. You don't understand. I hurt. It causes me pain in my, with the situation with my children. It, it hurts. It causes me pain and grief. Well, let me just say something to you. There's always a meaning behind the pain we go through. There's always a reason why we, we go through pain. Pain changes us. Pain is a powerful motivating factor. People don't like pain. Pain, God allows pain to come into our life in order to get us out of our comfort and move us to where he wants us. So the best thing we can do, especially if somebody out there is a parent who's going through horrible tragedy because of their children or their grandchildren, maybe their kids messed up on dope, maybe maybe they're, they, they were the wrong person in a terrible relationship, or, or whatever. I don't know what the situation is. 
But I can tell you this. If you'll seek God's message through the pain you're going through, what is God trying to teach you? What is God trying to show me? And learn from it. You'll come out on the other side a whole lot closer to God. And you'll understand on the other side, regardless of the outcome. I I, I know this breaks people's hearts when the children go wrong. I'm going to close with a thought. Billy Sunday, most of y'all know the name Billy Sunday. Billy Sunday was probably the greatest Presbyterian preacher that ever lived. And he preached all over America. I can't remember what years it was. It was back a long time ago in the 19-somethings, 30s probably. Preached tent revival all over America. And, and nobody preached harder against alcohol than Billy Sunday. He, he used to tell, he told his wife, he, he called her Ma, Ma Sunday. He said, Ma, he said, when I'm dead and gone, he said, I want you to go down to that funeral home and I want you to have them skin my hide and I want you to have somebody tan my hide and you make a drum head out of it and you put it on a drum and you march down the street hollering against the liquor traffic, beating that drum. But his son died a drunkard's death even though he did all that. You say, what was the good in it? Everybody's got to stand for themselves. You can't stand up on for your kids when it comes to judgment day. What do you do in that case? You hit your knees while you still can. You cry to God. Let's stand together. Let God have it. Turn it over to him. We're living in tough times. We're living in tough times. Our children are growing up in tough times. Grandchildren growing up in tough times. We need to be a praying people. Let's go to the Lord in that word of prayer. We'll be dismissed. Richard, dismiss us tonight. Father, we just thank you for the Amen.